Heavenly Father, uh, we're so thankful to be here today, to be able to hear from your word. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, it would be a word that would touch us all, that would touch our hearts, as we think about something that maybe we don't often think about, which is when you come back again and what will happen. Uh, Father, hide me behind your cross, hide me behind your word. Uh, People don't need to hear anything of me, they need to hear everything from you. Thank you, Father. Amen. Um, I, I don't know if you remember about, it would be about 18 months ago, towards the end of 2012, there was an awful lot of, uh, I'll use the word rubbish, basically, floating around in the, in the internet and the media about the end of the world. Yeah, the, towards the end of 2012, it was going to be the end of the world. There's various uh, things why that might be, uh, included the fact that Uh, The Mayan calendar was supposed to finish on the 21st of December, 2012. Uh, The Earth's magnetic poles were going to reverse and then the uh, direction of spin of the Earth was going to change. That was another theory. Uh, Possibly my favourite one, uh, some people claimed that a planet called uh, Nibiru, I think it is, uh, was going to crash into the Earth. Uh, the fact that no one had actually observed this before didn't seem to bother people. Uh, in, and in fact, uh, in America, the uh, NASA, the uh, National Aeronautical Space Administration, actually put together on their website a frequently asked questions slot about the end of 2012 and the destruction of the Earth, basically answering all these questions, saying sort of like, no, this isn't going to happen, it's okay. You don't need to panic. Um, But there were people out there. There were people out there building concrete bunkers. Uh, There's one person who buried uh, nine shipping containers, nine 40-foot shipping containers, and turned them into their own underground uh, sort of bunker, and they were uh, buying arms and lots of uh, tinned uh, produce in case the world, uh, in case the planet... Well, I'm not sure which one they were planning for, whether that was the planet or the Earth turning... Anyway, whichever it was. Um, So on the day after the end of the world, that's always a good day, isn't it? On the day after the end of the world, uh, NASA were then posting on their website uh, a a post that basically said, if you're reading this story, it means the world didn't end on the 21st of December. Despite reports of an ancient Mayan prophecy, a mysterious planet on a collision course, or a reverse in the Earth's rotation, were still here. And they then posted an hour-long video with that, talking about uh, why the world didn't end yesterday. Uh, glad to know that the taxpayers of the United States are getting the value that they are in terms of, you know, that sort of service. <laughs> um, but it's a big question, though, isn't it? I mean, it is a it is a big question. Will there be an end of the world, and what will it be like? When will it be? And I think that's a question that occurs to, to many people and it's actually part of our worldview. It's a part of our view about who we are and, and what happens in the world. Uh, and I think it would be fair to say it's a question that everybody needs to answer to their own satisfaction. I think everybody needs an answer to that question. What happens at the end? When is the end? Well, as I said, we're continuing our summer series Uh, And so we've got to the part of the Nicene Creed that looks at that. It looks at the statement, uh, 
in there which talks about the, the end of the world. Um, and in fact, Peter was writing about that in part in the, in the passage that we just, we just read as well. Um, and it says that yes, and remember, so this is a summary of the Christian faith. It says yes, Jesus Christ is going to return again to the earth and that at that moment, that, that pinnacle, that, that critical time, uh, a number of things are going to happen and it's going to be the, the end of the age uh, and his kingdom's going to have no end. His kingdom then will be ushered in, it will be complete and it will have no end. So look with me in our passage today, First uh, uh, Peter 4. If you haven't got a Bible, there's some at the back, pick one up. Uh, but let's have a look at that and you can see there that Peter refers to that several times. He says... Um, that the in verse 5 that they have they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead so that's talking about let's say there the idea of Jesus coming to judge the living and the dead uh, and also in verse 7 the end of all things is near so Peter's certainly writing about that at this point and it's something Jesus often spoke about himself he often talked about uh, his second coming he said uh, I will come back and bring you to myself. I will come and prepare a place for you. Uh, and both uh, the apostles Paul and John wrote several times. We know a lot of Revelation. Towards the end of Revelation, he's talking about the return of Christ. Uh, and Peter did here. So it was, it was a common theme. It was something that was talked about a lot amongst the apostles and in the early church. But, but what do we know about it? What can we deduce about it from the Bible? Uh, and what don't we know about it? Um, let's have a look. And I, I can think of a number of things that uh, we know about the return of Christ. And that, so first of all, we're going to look at the return of Christ. We're going to look at then what it means for the church. And then we're going to look at what it means for us. But first of all, what do we know about the return of Christ? Well, if you like lists, I know some of you do, uh, there's at least eight things I can think of. There's probably more, but at least eight things. And I will flash up the side at the end with the eight things on, but I'm not going to show it you yet. Because I don't want you reading ahead. I know what you're like. Okay, so first of all, first of all, nobody knows when Jesus is coming back. Let's have a look just in your Bible. Just flick over to, back to Mark for me, please. So that's going back to the left. Um, this is in Mark chapter 13, verse 32. You're going to get there before I am. Uh, Jesus says it very plainly. Oh, oh, you might want to keep your finger there, by the way. Uh, Jesus said it very plainly, very clearly. No one knows about that day, talking about his return, or our not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Saying that Jesus himself, in, in, as the Son of God, did not know when he will be coming back again then. Only God the Father. Um, and, and just after that, uh, I won't read it to you, but he just gives a parable about uh, uh, someone who leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, waiting for the, and the servants then waiting for, for him coming back. I don't know if you've ever been in that experience yourself. Um, have you ever looked after somebody's home and then they waiting for them to come back in? 
I don't know about you, it's, there's a bit to me that's just a bit anxious, you know, you're thinking, oh, is the goldfish going to die? Or, you know, uh, you know, is it all going to burn down on the night before they get back? Or, or, or something like that. We, we were once looking after our friend's house and they had two cats. Uh, one was called Jasper and one was called Molly. Uh, and Molly was sort of Jasper was the adventurous one and Molly was sort of the very laid back one that basically just spent the time sitting on the sofa and eating as far as I could tell Um, and they'd gone away for the Easter weekend and on Sunday Molly didn't come in for her food and we're like oh well, you know, it's probably just out and about doing cat things like cats do so we won't worry she'll be back for the next feed because she, as I said, likes her food no Molly was not there and we're like ah okay has something happened to Molly and we're like hmm and she'll normally come when, the cat will normally come when you call her so we're like okay we'd better start looking so we had a sort of a little walk round and we sort of, you know, Molly yeah, Molly, you see, you see that you sound like an idiot, don't you? When you're walking around, Molly, it's a total sidebar here. Uh, Ian's top tip, when you're thinking about naming your pets, always imagine yourself standing out the back of your house, shouting it at the top of your voice. And if it's not something you're comfortable to shout at the top of your voice, pick a different name. Anyway, uh, so we're going around, Molly, Molly. And uh, no sign of Molly. Well, we're starting to panic. So... Uh, it's Monday, they're due back the Monday night we're outside, it's about a it's part of a complex this place and it's about a four acre site, we are looking all over this site for the cat all the day, just not like Molly, Molly, shut up about four o'clock in the afternoon I don't know what made me but I, I just looked up at the top of this sort of shed and there's Molly sitting on top of the shed just watching me walking around like an idiot shouting her name all the time and I'm like what are you doing? What are you doing up there? He's like, meow. I'm like, come down. So, there's that idea here in Mark of, of that Jesus coming back as the owner of the house coming back. And that sense that Denise and I had looking for that cat is pretty much the kind of sense, not, not, a, not an anxious worry, but a, but a concern. A concern that he's coming back to his house. But we don't know when. It could be 2100. It could be the 24th of August 2014. We don't know. Second thing we know is that he returns in glory. Uh, it talks about him there in the creek about, oh, we're taking it off, about him returning in uh, glory. Because uh, Jesus could judge us now. You know, he, he could judge us at any point. Why is he going to wait to do it at one time and do everyone all at the same time he's going to do it to glorify his name uh, and the name of his father Uh, and no doubt um, at that point it it talks about the Bible talks about him coming back with trumpets and the clouds being rolled back there's no doubt about who it is there's going to be no atheists going well how do you know bam we know who this is we know who it is he's visible he's physical it's clear we all know he is and we all know why he's back. Bang. Jesus has returned. Third thing we know is that he's coming to judge the living and the dead. And again it says that in the, in the Nicene Creed. We'll talk about that some more later. Uh, 
But, that, but to be clear, he's going to judge those who are alive when he comes. He's going to judge those who have already died by the times he comes. And his judgment is perfect. We've talked about that quite often. There's no, no mistakes in his judgment. Uh, this was, a, this was a, a nice quote from T.S. Eliot, I thought. He wrote about Judgment Day saying that we need to be prepared for him who knows how to ask questions. I thought that was a great phrase. You know, you think Jeremy Paxman is hard to be interviewed by? No. No. Here is someone who knows exactly the questions to ask you that will show everything about you. And a bit like the, the child in Sunday school who knows how to play the odds. In actual fact, the only answer to those questions will be, I know Christ and he's my saviour. There'll be no other answer that, that will have any, any currency with him. Uh, if you think about that and you're thinking about people who have... You know, if you think about that driver who cut you up and you're thinking, I'm going to get you. Or you're thinking about the, the neighbour who's just cut down your prize rhododendron or whatever, and you think, I'm going to get you. You don't need to. Okay? Jesus, his judgment is perfect and he's going to judge everything. Okay? There's no need for revenge because God says, revenge is mine. But think about that day. Everything that, those per- everything that everyone has done is going to be judged properly. Fourth thing we know is that, as we were just saying, every deed and every word, every open thing, every secret thing is going to be judged. Ecclesiastes 12.14 says, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So we know that every deed, everything is going to be judged on the day of judgment. Uh, the next thing we know is that, number five, is that, yes, we, we know that believers and non-believers are going to be judged, but this is something that, that we don't always pick up on, is that angels are going to be judged. Angels will be judged on the day of judgment. And Paul says that we will have a role in judging them as Christians, which is even more mind-blowing. Um, but regardless of people's position, whether they're a believer or a non-believer or whether an angel, they're going to be judged. And let's be brutally clear and honest about what this means. Let's not make this fluffy or wrap it up in cotton wool. Let us be clear. This means that those who have not believed in Jesus Christ as their saviour, who have not turned their life in the other direction, we use the word repented, you know, who, who tried to live a life for him, that they will be condemned for eternal punishment in hell. And that those who have an incredible eternal life, those, excuse me, those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ, those who have turned their life around, will have an incredible eternal life with God in a new heaven and a new earth. There is nothing Beloved, there is nothing more important than you understanding the reality, the harsh reality of that fact. Uh, you know, people say, I'm not trying to say that to, to scare you or to intimidate you or to, or to upset you ups, into believing. I'm not trying to put your arm up behind your back. Uh, I am telling you the truth. I am telling you a fact, a plain fact 
black and white fact. There is a real heaven, there is a real hell. You will spend eternity, that is forever, which is an incredibly long time, in one or the other. I beg you, do not ignore that fact. Do not brush it aside. Do not think about, do not let yourself think it's distracted about other things. This is the most important fact. I beg you, please, if you've not already done that, put your trust in Jesus Christ as your saviour. Turn away from your sin and repent. Stop trying to run from him. Stop trying to deny him. Face reality and trust him. If you do not, your existence will be too terrible to bear. Jesus was sent to earth to die for your sins. He rose from the dead. We talked about that. Tim was talking about that last week, his death. He rose from the dead to prove it was right. Are you going to face God's anger? Or are you going to let Jesus face it on your behalf? Today is the day of salvation. Do not let it go down without having resolved this question. People say, people say sometimes, oh, you know, there are two types of people. There are people who are morning people and people who are evening people. There are, or there are two types of people. There are people who like to drive fast and people who like to drive fast. Those things are fairly artificial, but I'll tell you this. Yes, there are two types of people. There are types of people who will be saved and there are types people who will not be saved. That's the only distinction that matters. That's the only distinction that matters in this world. What else do we know? Well, Christ's return is going to be sudden. It's going to be fast. Yes, it's unexpected, but it's also sudden. It talks about the impact of being like a, returning like a thief in the night, in, in, the, in the sudden way in which he comes. seventh thing we know is that it's an end of suffering whatever your struggles are at this point, whatever your whatever life is throwing at you, whatever it has thrown you in your past at this point, the point when Jesus comes back is the end of those struggles if you're a believer in him it's the point when the kingdom of God is fully established and if you believe in him there's an end to the suffering to the pain, there's an end even to night itself and Number eight, I'll give you the list of number eight, is that his kingdom will have no end. It's the, his kingdom has partly come at this point, it's partly been established, it came when he, he was, uh, started his ministry on earth, but now it's been fully, it will have been fully established. When we looked at this one, we looked at the, those of you who were with us, when we looked at the Vaughan Roberts book, God's Big Picture, and at um, The World We All Want with, with Tim Chester, um, this is the kingdom. This is when it starts. It lasts forever. It's perfect. His rule is perfect. Well, what does Christ return to? So that's what we know. And I'm sure there's other things that, that we could talk about as well. So that's what we know. What does Christ's return mean for the church then? You know, so what? You know, we've said what it is. So what? So what? What does it matter? Well, I want to suggest to you a, a, a few ways in which um, this has an impact for us as Rotherham Evangelical Church, uh, as any church. Uh, unity. First of all, we're called to be united as a local church and united with other churches who believe the same gospel. Sure, we, we will disagree about things from time to time. We'll have our arguments. 
Uh, let's face it, there's some disagreements between churches about this part of the Nicene Creed and what it means exactly. won't go there today. Um, but those things aren't supposed to be a distraction. They're not, they're not supposed to drive wedges between us. Uh, all Christians believe the gospel. We need to lock arms together uh, as we struggle for the gospel, as we think about how the gospel can be preached to other people, about how we uh, represent the gospel. We need to be united. The church is called to be united. Uh, the church is described as the bride of Christ in the Bible. Uh, this is the wedding day. This is the wedding day when it happens. And so, um, you know, there's a certain sense in which we need to be preparing in that sort of way, not running around helter-skelter like, you know, day before a wedding day. You know, we need to be united, solid, sorted out in that way. And by the way, I did not run around on the day before my wedding day going, eh. Uh, no, actually, that's not true. I did at one moment run around when we found we'd lost the honeymoon tickets. That's another story. I'll tell you another time. Um, the second thing that we need, that this sort of implies for the church, is, is purity. If we're being prepared as God's new people and we're going to be with him together, we talked a few weeks ago saying there's no darkness in God, there's no, there's no evil in God. Uh, he's holy. Um, we're called to try to be the same. Sure, we'll, we'll still make mistakes and, and we will still sin from time to time because we're not perfect, we're not with him yet. But that's what we're striving towards. As, as a church and as individuals, we're striving towards, towards purity. Um, yes, we still sin, but Christians hate sin. Yes, we still sin, but we love God. We'll talk more about that, that idea later. But, but, but Christians hate sin and love God. And the church tries to teach and encourage that and, 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 and to correct all of us and so we can live a life that's more and more pleasing to, to Jesus. Uh, thirdly, don't worry, I'll put it on the screen again in a minute. Thirdly, the church is called to stewardship. Um, and by that, and I, th- I think this is an important idea, by that I mean that the church has a vital role in not only preaching the gospel, but also preserving the gospel. Yes, there's always room for questioning and, and re-examining. Uh, the church always needs to be looking at the Bible to see what it's saying uh, and making sure that we're really doing what the Bible says. Making sure that it's relevant to the current generation. But not actually then compromising it or diluting it or changing it. Um, think about when you learn to drive um, when you learn to drive hopefully you learn to drive in exactly the right way and you pass the test and you've know, you got the licence everything you can then go and drive you then go out and if you like me you then learn a set of bad driving habits you, know, you don't look in the mirrors as often as you should uh, you know you don't um, when you get to the roundabout you don't necessarily Make sure you come to a real stop before you see the person come around. You know, you, you do the thing where you start inching forward even though you're looking right. You're inching forward. You're not looking forward where the car is still sat in front of you. You know, and then you wonder why you drive into the back of that car. Or if you're like me, you ride the clutch all the time. I ride the clutch all the time. But what we should be doing perhaps is going back to the lesson and back and re-examining what we do and saying, are we actually doing it in the way it was intended? Same with the gospel. 
we keep looking back at the gospel, we keep looking back at the Bible and saying, have we changed it somewhere? Have we lost it somewhere? Do we need to re-examine it? And that's what Martin Luther did, that's what John Calvin did, that's what people like Martin Lloyd-Jones did. Is the church, this is our guide. This is our guide, not tradition. Not, not tradition, not our own ideas. It, when we shut this, we've lost our authority. When we shut this, we, we don't know what to do. And so, and so it's said that one generation learns the gospel, the next generation assumes the gospel, and the third generation loses the gospel. If we find ourselves assuming it, if we find ourselves not preaching it to ourselves, if we find ourselves not going back to it again, the next generation, our next generation, will lose the gospel. And we see that, and you can see that in some churches, you can see that in some denominations, and it is absolutely heartbreaking. And the thing is, it's not that generation's fault. It's the previous one. It's the previous one who assumed it. Oh, we know, yeah, we know what it is. Yeah, we do, we do this, this is okay. Let's just do what we always did. Oh, not necessary. We should never assume the gospel. Make it relevant, yes, but we don't change it. It's a bit like a ship on the sea. The gospel is a bit like a ship on the sea. A ship is on the sea. The gospel is in the world. The sea is not supposed to be in the ship. The world is not supposed to be in the gospel. Yeah? The gospel is in the world. The world should not be in the gospel. The ship is on the sea. The sea is not supposed to be in the ship because then it sinks. Uh, and lastly, because... Christ is coming back to judge the world. The church is called to be a witness. We're called to be witnesses. Uh, a witness tells people about what they've experienced, what they know to be true. You've all seen the courtroom dramas. You know I like those. Uh, our church, REC, we're called to be a witness. We're called to tell people about what we have seen, what we've experienced as Christians. Um, bearing in mind that it's hard to do that if we've not stewarded the gospel. Bear in mind it's hard to do that if we're not striving towards purity. Bear in mind it's hard to do that if we're not united together. If the church is divided, if the church is, is racked with corruption or, or, and sin and, and it's, we, we, we're not preaching the gospel, then we're not going to be good witnesses. We're not going to be good witnesses for, for Christ and for what's going on. So we looked at what the, the, the return of Christ, what we know about the return of Christ, we've looked at what that means for the church. Let's think a bit about what that means for us. Um, what that means for us. Let's go look back at the passage here, back in, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 4. And uh, straight away at the beginning there, we can see how it says Christ suffered in his body. That's what Tim talked about last week. He talked about the death of of Christ and Christ's suffering. Uh, one of the results of that, he says, therefore, okay, whenever you see therefore, remember what it's, have a look what it's there for. Uh, uh, therefore, he talks about how, we're, how we should be behaving. Uh, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Be the same way around. Notice, notice, the, way, notice the way around that is. Because Christ has died, we should do these things. Because Christ has died for us, we're going to do these things. Because we're a Christian, we're going to do these things. Not, we do these things so we can become a Christian. 
Okay, that's the wrong way around. These things are the result of Christ dying for us. And Peter goes on to to write a little bit about what that looks like. Um, We're done with sin. We're living our lives for the will of God. Verse 2. As I said, that's not that we never sin, but it's that we hate sin and love God. Verse 3. You have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do. That's a phrase that that caught my attention. Um, How all of us have spent time living with us as the centre of our universes. We've all spent time and done things we shouldn't have done. Not necessarily the things here, but but, although maybe. Um, But we've all done things that that we we weren't supposed to do. But look how he described that as you've spent too much time. You've spent too much time doing that. Live for God instead. Spend the, the time on what matters, the things of God, not, not that stuff where you're the centre of the universe. And the end of verse 3 lists some items out there. Um, the things that some of us, or maybe all of us, have done before we became Christians, I don't know. Notice how many of those things, by the way, are okay as far as society is concerned. Just look, look at that list again. You know, you're drunk. Oh, did you have a good night? Let's go to you. Good night. You know, um, most of those things, I think, society would say were, were, were okay. Um, and that's why, that's why Peter then goes on and talks about how, he, how um, they think it's strange. Society thinks it's strange. Many of you will have had this experience, I'm sure. Someone comes up to you, if you're a Christian, someone comes up to you and goes, what, you, you don't do that? Why, why not? What's the matter with you? Well, you know, why? Well, you, you just live with him, it's okay. It's alright, what, what's the matter with you? Ah, come on, let's, let's, let's go out and have a good night out, let's have a good bash. Let's get legless. And no wonder then that the world looks at Christians and thinks sometimes that we're weird because we don't live in the same way. I'm not saying we never do some of these things because that, 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 occasionally it will happen, I guess, but, but we think of it differently. So no wonder the world looks at us sort of like... Um, and, and I love the word, and it's not in all the translations, it is in this NIV here, that, that you do not plunge with them into the flood of dissipation. And they heap abuse on you. No, we know they heap abuse on us, but I don't plunge. Think about plunging, that, that idea of... That, that word for me conjured up things like jumping into deep water. Uh, I don't know how deep it is, but, and I'm plunging in. Uh, and I hope I can swim. Or like, or like drowning. Uh, something I've maybe chosen to do, but I don't know the consequences. I'm plunging in, I'm diving into it. I was thinking about people, people at the flood with Noah. Noah's shutting up the ark, it's raining. And they're being plunged into the water as a result of, of their lives, their lifestyles. Um, and, and even when we try and do things that are for God, unbelievers will, will often or sometimes misinterpret it, either unintentionally, sometimes even intentionally. Just earlier on in Peter, 
Peter 2 verse 12 it says live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us so even though we're accused of doing wrong sometimes when we're living for God uh, there are going to you know, Peter says we're going to be judged there are going to be consequences the consequences are final and complete the Nicene Creed reminds us of that Peter reminds us of that um, I don't know if you remember the song that we sang a few months ago now called All I Have Is Christ this is how the first I won't sing it, don't worry, don't panic uh, but, uh, but this is how the first this is how the first uh, verse starts for that I once was lost in darkest night yet thought I knew the way the sin that promised joy and life had led me to the grave I had no hope that you would own a rebel to your will and if you had not loved me first that I would refuse you still. And that's the life. That, that, that's the life that Peter's describing there. That's the, the life in the, in the verse. But Christ is coming to judge the living and the dead. Verse 7 says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, so again, here, now Peter is saying, therefore, let's do some things. Let's, let's get practical. What are we going to do? We're going to pray. Verse 7. Verse 8, we're going to love each other. How? Deeply. Let's, let's plunge into loving each other instead of plunging into, into the doing things we shouldn't be doing. Um, by the way, the, the, the phrase there, uh, love covers a multitude of sins, just want to be clear about that. What that means is that our love, um, our attitude of love towards others, is going to be, yes, I know perhaps you've hurt me or, or you've done something wrong, but I'm going to love you just as much anyway. I love you in that way anyway. Um, not, not our love can cover someone else's sin. That's Jesus' job. We're not going to step into that. Uh, what else? We're going to show each other hospitality, verse 9. Um, and uh, verse 10, we're going to use our gifts to serve each other. We talked about that didn't we, a few, a few months ago when we looked at the body of Christ, um, the idea of serving each other with the gifts that we've been given. Uh, how are you using your spiritual gifts? How are you uh, using the gifts God has given you to serve each other and to serve his church? Uh, again, if you're not sure what your spiritual gifts are, or I'm not, don't worry, I'm not cutting to another sermon here. If you're not sure what your spiritual gifts are, or uh, you're not sure how to use them, please come and talk to us. We'd love to help that, have that conversation with you and talk you through that. That would be fantastic. And as a result of that, as a result of all those things from verse 7 to verse 11, to him be the glory, the power forever and ever. The glory goes to God, the power goes to God. Um. That was too early. Um, so how do you feel about all of that? How do you feel about what I've talked about? Maybe you think it's <clears throat> unrealistic and, and unreal. Like a fairy story. Um, and yet, all the cultures in the world, excuse me, <coughs> all the cultures in the world have this idea of the end of the world. All these all the cultures in the world have 
this idea of judgment. Um, repeatedly in the New Testament and the Old Testament, the, the passages support the idea of Jesus' return. Think about it in, a, in your own heart. In your own heart, you have a sense of justice. You have a sense of what is right and what is wrong. I don't know what your worldview is if, if, you, if you believe this is unrealistic or unreal, but I would encourage you to think about it. I'd encourage you to think about what happens when I die or what happens when what happens at the end is there is an end think about that and think about that in terms of the evidence that you have in front of you and say does this make sense does this not make sense Uh, even if you believe really that no it's all foolishness just ask yourself for the question put yourself in the situation but just for a moment what if I'm wrong just ask yourself that question if for one moment I am wrong what does it mean maybe you think it it might happen uh, and you're scared or at least a bit worried by the idea you know know, this is a it is a a fearful thing for you Um, use that emotion use that emotion to find out more about it if you're scared of it don't, don't don't Wait, don't, don't uh, brew in your fear, don't, don't be scared. Uh, find out what's happening, don't linger. Um, because if you linger, you may never come to Christ. Okay? Find out, press home, ask questions, ask some of the people around you. Perhaps you came with another Christian today, ask them. Find out what this means. You may feel like that, and you're a Christian, so you believe in Christ, you believe he's coming again, and you're worried because oh, I'm not, I don't know if I'm good enough. Am I good enough? Because I did some really bad things. I still do some bad things. Am I good enough? Just encourage you with the the words that that Tim brought us last week, just saying that there's no quantity in being saved. It's not that there's a certain amount that you're saved. If you put your faith in Jesus and you try to live a life according to him, you are saved. You are saved by grace, by not, not what we do, by what he has done. We're saved because of who he is, not because of who we are. And maybe you are a Christian and you believe this and uh, you know, this is familiar to you and you are comfortable with the idea and you're all good with that. Then, then my message to you is to be ready again and again. Christ warns against not being ready. Uh, we know that he's going to, it's going to happen suddenly and unexpectedly. Do the kind of things Peter was talking about here. Devote yourselves to prayer, to loving each other, to using your gifts. Think about those things. And in light of this, I thought I should ask myself some questions. I need to ask myself some questions. I'm going to share those with you and you might find them useful too. I'll put them up on the screen in a minute. But following on from that last point, do I pray and love others and serve in the kind of way that Peter's talking about here? If someone was looking at my life, would they know that how grateful I am for Jesus saving me? Would they know that I was a Christian? Am I joyful enough? Sometimes Christians are just not joyful enough, to be honest with you. Um, what would it look like if I did? What would that look like if I really did that? 
If I thought that Christ was returning in 24 hours' time, what relationships would I straighten out? What would I be doing? What, what, what bridges would I be trying to build? This one gets me. Do I yearn for Christ's return? Do I want him to come back? Am I saying, yes, Lord, come back now. Come back now. Yes, okay, I may have other things I want to do in my life, but they are nothing in comparison to the the wondrous glory of being with you. And if I don't think that, why not? Why not? When I look at other people, maybe my neighbours or my friends, folks in the church, my family, whoever, and I know they're going to be judged by Christ, how does that make me feel about them? How does that make me feel about who they are? How does that make me feel about what I have to talk to them about? Is it really important that I find out all about their hobbies and everything they're they're doing or is there more important things to be, to be discussed do I fight my rebellion against God do I fight my sin and you know be clear we are all tempted all of us every day are tempted to do things we shouldn't do or to not do things we should do but do I use everything I can think of every, every strategy every, every advice every piece of advice from a friend prayer, whatever I can to avoid it. Have you ever tried to sin while you're reading a Bible? I can tell you it's actually pretty hard. Let's face it, there's two things that happen when someone becomes a Christian. One is they believe the gospel, the good news, and sure they will struggle perhaps with their faith from time to time, we all do, but at the bottom line they're going to say Jesus is the Son of God, He died to pay the penalty for my sins. And he was raised from the dead. And I want to follow him. The other thing is that they repent. They go the other way. As we said, they're going to hate sin and they're going to love God. The world is going to do the opposite. The world is going to love sin and hate God. The end of all things is near. Peter says it there. I don't say this to scare you. I don't say any of this to scare you or to try and pressure you into belief or repentance. Please, if it comes across that way, I do not mean that. I do not mean it to come across this way. I want you to know the truth. I want you to understand the truth. And it's all going to happen so that Jesus' name will be glorified, so that justice will be done. And we don't know when. So please, live like it's going to be tonight. Let's pray.